It's a delight for me to uh, be here today and to share in this time. It is always good to return to Christ Church of Oak Brook. We spent many good years here, and Lenore and I are always grateful to God for the many relationships that we shared here, the joy that we experienced among you, and the great acceptance that we received as well. And so it is good for me to be here, and Lenore certainly would have wanted to be here, but her health prevented her from being here today. I'm sharing with you from the Gospel of St. Luke, and I'm reading a rather familiar story, I believe, and I'm reading this morning from The Message by Eugene Peterson. Let us hear God's Word. It happened that as he, that is Jesus, made his way toward Jerusalem, and Eugene Peterson here is um, a little bit mellow in what he's saying. Other translations say that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And as he did so, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance, but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. They went, and while still on their way, became clean. One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, were not ten healed? Where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give glory to God except this outsider? Then he said to him, Get up on your way. Your faith has healed and saved you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever read any books by Anne Lamott? If you have, you know that it's kind of a tough story she portrays in her books about her life, how she came to faith. In some of her early books, she uses rather rough language at times. She doesn't always make you feel very comfortable. But in one of her books, she says she has two favorite prayers. In the morning, she prays, help me, help me, help me. And at bedtime, she prays, thank you, thank you, thank you. I suggest to you that this is the very essence of the story that we have just read 
from Luke's Gospel. The setting for this miracle takes place in the final weeks of Christ's life. Luke writes it this way, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And in the next days, Jesus would travel to Jericho, then to Bethany to be with his friends, and eventually to Jerusalem, where he entered the city in what we call the, his triumphal entry. All along the way, Luke has Jesus teaching, performing miracles, telling many stories. But it's Luke's way of reminding his readers that Jesus was intent to do his Father's will and to ultimately suffer in our place. During these final days, everything that Jesus did takes on great significance. And the healing of the ten lepers teaches us about what I am calling the heartbeat of our faith, namely thankfulness, giving thanks to God, the heartbeat of our faith. Now this miracle takes place on the border between Samaria and Galilee, and the person who returns to give thanks to Jesus is a Samaritan. He is a foreigner. He is an outcast. He is, by many standards, by many people of the day, a heretic. Is this important? It certainly is, because good Jews did not go anywhere near Samaria. They had no contact with Samaritans. They were a deeply despised group. And it was while on his way to Jerusalem that Jesus and his disciples encounter this group of ten lepers. Now, in our day of modern medicine and cultural changes, it's difficult for us to describe the social alienation and the isolation of these ten persons. People lived in dread of leprosy. Today, it's commonly known as Hansen's disease and probably has been mostly eradicated from most of the world. But in Jesus' day, leprosy was thought to be contagious. It began with a discoloration of a patch of skin, and then very quickly it would turn pink and spread, uh, spread all over the body, oftentimes spreading into the internal organs. Spongy tumors would appear on the body. Hands and feet could become deformed. And eventually, the person who had leprosy would lose his or her ability to feel pain. Some people thought in that day that to even cross in the shadow of a leper was to risk infection. They were to have no jobs, no contact with families, no opportunity to practice whatever religion they might have been practicing. They were outcasts in every sense of the word. And they often banded together. They became a company of misery. 
This group that confronted Jesus must have been made up both of Jews and Samaritans. And one thing we do know, that the one man who returned to give thanks was indeed a Samaritan. In other words, he had a double whammy. He not only had leprosy, but he also was from a despised and hated group of people. And it's this group that cry from a distance, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy. They were in a desperate situation. No hope whatsoever. Let us be reminded a moment that each one of us is in need, desperate need, of Christ's mercy. Jesus have mercy is not just the cry of the derelict, is not just the cry of certain bad people, people of ill repute. It is the cry of each one of us. Each one of us needs to experience the mercy and the grace and the healing and the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. But now notice, here is where the story takes an unusual turn because it is the Samaritan of all people, the foreigner, the social and religious outcast who is presented as the one who demonstrates a godly life and a godly attitude. He demonstrates a faith that lays hold on God and that cannot and will not remain silence. In response to what God has done in his life, he returns to give thanks. And isn't it intriguing that Jesus does not seem to be interested in the man's religion? He does not ask him how often he practiced his religious rituals in private. He doesn't ask him if he ever attended synagogue. He didn't ask him any kind of spiritual question. What were his relations? Did his parents have faith? None of that. The only thing we know about this man is that he recognized a gift when he experienced it and he returned to say, thank you. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Another translation of that verse has Jesus saying, your faith has saved you. And Eugene Peterson in the message probably translates it correctly. He has Jesus saying, your faith has healed and saved you. I would suggest to you today that this is not just a medical healing, but a holistic healing of the entire human being. In fact, Biblical scholars teach us that the concepts of wellness, wholeness, salvation are used almost interchangeably in the Scripture, meaning that to be saved is to be well, and to be well 
is to be saved. And the person's thankfulness is the result of a new and healing relationship with Christ. He understands at this moment with his whole being who is his healer, who is his savior. And I suggest to you that if there is something like a heartbeat within the New Testament, that is, if there is something in the New Testament which I would call a pulsating center that pumps life to the whole body, whether the individual's body or the corporate body of the church of Jesus Christ, it is pro properly named using the words praise and thanksgiving. Now, I would define praise as the term for all words, all music, all bodily motions that we use in ascribing ultimate worth to God. The choir has done that this morning. The musicians have done that this morning. We have sung songs about ascribing worth to God. The psalmist that we read in the first part of the service was saying, let's give glory to God, a, a, a thousand hallelujahs to God. We ascribe ultimate worth to God simply because of who God is. God is the Redeemer. God is the Savior. God is the Restorer. God is the Compassionate One. God is the God of Grace. God is the All-Knowing One. He is the All-Powerful One. He is the God of all gods, says the Scripture. Thanksgiving means to spell out the details of God's redemptive work in our lives and expressing our gratitude for them. Or to put it another way, there is a wondrous spiral of grace descending and faith ascending, which causes us then to express gratitude to God, forming the very heartbeat of the Christian faith, grace descending, thanksgiving ascending. Note, it's like a pulsating experience in our lives. Now, I think it's safe to say that hundreds of sermons have been preached on this healing of the ten lepers. And most of the sermons focus on the theme of gratitude. Ten lepers healed, only one of them returns. That's a proper understanding. This is, this is a portion of Scripture that is most often used at national holidays of thanksgiving. It's difficult for me, however, to imagine that all of the lepers were not grateful. I can imagine each of these persons going home, announcing that they were healed, deliriously happy, embracing their wives, their children, their families, knowing what abject misery had been theirs, who would not be grateful? So I think this story is not so much about gratitude 
as it is about thanksgiving. And you say, is there a difference? I think there is. To be sure, the words gratitude and thanksgiving are used almost interchangeably in daily conversation. But this man recognizes not only that he was healed, that's gratitude. He recognizes who healed him. That's thanksgiving. And he returns to give thanks and praise to God. Now this is no small thing for Luke in all of his writings because praising and thanking and blessing and glorifying God is one of Luke's themes. Think, for example, of how Luke begins his gospel. It's the story of young Mary receiving the words of the angel that she is going to be the mother of our Lord. And how does she respond? We call her response the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's thanksgiving, knowing that the gift she was going to receive was indeed a gift of God. And then, when the shepherds are in the field and they announce the birth of Jesus, what is their response when they return to heaven? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. And then when the shepherds go to view the Christ child, they return, says the Scripture, praising and glorifying God for what they had seen and heard. And then we have the elderly couple, old Simeon and Anna, in the temple. We're told that they had been there daily, praying, hoping for the consolation of Israel, hoping and praying that God would indeed restore the fortunes of their people, fulfill his promise to his people. And when Simeon sees the child, what does he do? Now let my servant depart in peace, for I have seen your salvation. Thanking, praising God. Witnesses to the miracles of Jesus in Luke's gospel are continually praising God. And the centurion at the foot of the cross gives the final testimony to Jesus. Surely this man was the Son of God, says the centurion. And then in Luke's second book, the book of Acts, we find in those opening chapters that when the church is growing, the Holy Spirit has come and miracles are being done and people are, being, are speaking in tongues, that Jews and Gentile alike offer praise and thanksgiving to God. I think that Luke tells this story not to distinguish one leper from the others, but to emphasize the proper response to any act of grace, namely, thanks and praise to God. And this is why several New Testament writers exhort us to something that seems almost impossible. 
for ordinary people immersed in their busy lives, the Scripture says, pray constantly. How? With thanksgiving. My friends, if grace truly abounds, then thanksgiving becomes a natural inclination toward offering ourselves to God. And I suggest that to pray constantly with thanksgiving is not, first of all, offering formal prayers as great as they may be, but rather seeking and finding many occasions during the course of an average day to honestly say, thanks be to God, praise the Lord, or whatever seems right to us to verbalize our gratitude. Review your own prayer life for a moment, will you? Is your prayer life more about asking God for something? Asking God to do something? Or is your prayer life characterized by expressing thanks to God for who He is and what God has done? I suggest to do so would become like a heartbeat pulsating within you as grace descends and thanksgiving ascends. In the tradition of historic Christian worship, there is what is known as the great thanksgiving. It's a prayer that sometimes is used at the beginning of worship and most often used during communion. It goes like this, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Eternal God, holy and mighty, it is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise and to worship you in every place where your glory abides. Oh, I know that this sounds like solemn, lofty Sunday morning worship words, but they do remind us that every part of Christian living are sometimes mundane, ordinary, trivial, everyday life. And those times when we walk through the deepest valleys must be characterized by giving thanks and praise to God. In the words of an old catechism that I used and I learned at a very young age, the question asks, since we have been delivered from our misery, that is, our sin, by grace through Christ, without any merit of our own, why should we do good works? And the answer is this, because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, is also restoring us by His Spirit into His image 
so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for His good gifts, so that, we, so that He may be praised through us, and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. In a world of independent, self-made men and women, we do not often talk about our duty and our greatest joy to be the praise and worship of God. As Christians, however, as Christians, we understand that we are created beings and we are children of the eternal God. And we seek to live our whole life in response to who God is and what God has done. In other words, to live with thanksgiving. And so I end as I began with the two prayers of Anne Lamott. When she begins the day, help me, help me, help me. And at bedtime, thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray together. Oh God, your word tells us that to offer our thanks and praise can take many forms. We can sing, we can pray, we can kneel, we can dance, we can sing new songs, we can invite all of earth and everyone in it to praise you. We can shout the news of your victory. We can take the news of your glory to the lost. For you are the one who made the heavens and the earth. Your powerful beauty sets you apart. We bow before you. We fall on our knees before you. For God is great. And you are worth a thousand hallelujahs. May our lives, O oh God, be characterized by this, by this pulsating beat of our faith, of knowing you and expressing our total thanks. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.